give credit to Bettman and Daly because they're dealing with some stuff that the other three professional big four commissioners aren't dealing with. That's a really good point, Mike, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. It's on tape. Did you get that? You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris, brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. Before we get started on this uh, 513th episode of Unscripted, just between our little break between episodes, we have done what Major League Baseball should have been doing for years, and we've contracted six teams. And as we talked about in episode 512, which I'm very excited to do, is that in a couple of weeks, we're going to incorporate our buddy Greg into the show, and we're going to do one round with 24 teams, and um, I'm really looking forward to this. And again, they have to be current players. They have to be contracted players as of right now. We can't, Chris can't go and draft Ty Cobb, and I can't go and draft Babe Ruth. Um, No, these are from the current crop of players. Age is obviously going to be a determining factor. Um, You know, so, but during the break, we contracted six teams, and these teams will not be involved. And remember, we are going to, because this is our, our draft, and it can't be any more fucked up than <laughs> what Robbie Manfred's doing to baseball. We have moved the Montreal Expos, or excuse me, the Washington Nationals back to Montreal. So one of the 24 teams that we will be drafting for will be the Montreal Expos, which I'm very happy to say. It's the way it should have been. Um, but we have said goodbye to the following six teams. We have said goodbye to the Tampa Bay Rays, the Miami Marlins, the Kansas City Royals, the Colorado Rockies, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the San Diego Padres have uh, been given the proverbial pink slip, and we will draft in a couple of weeks with our buddy Greg. We will redraft the first round of 24 teams and... um, we haven't quite determined yet. We can put these in the divisions we want. We can do. And I think it, I think we should also do this while I'm thinking about it. We need to make the DH universal. Sure. Fine. None of this pitchers hitting crap. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. The only league in professional sports, in baseball anyway, that uses a designated hitter now. That doesn't. That doesn't, excuse me. That doesn't use, excuse me, doesn't use a designated hitter is the National League. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, forget it, more offense. Um, so Tampa Bay, Miami, Kansas City, Colorado, Arizona, and San Diego are the six teams that we have contracted from our little version of the Major League Baseball teams. And again, in about two weeks, uh, Chris, uh, our buddy Greg and myself will conduct our own redrafting of the current players uh, on the 24 teams. It'll be interesting to see where some of these guys end up. What would even be more funny is to see if any of these guys end up on teams that they're actually on right now. That that would be be funny. That would be interesting. That would be very funny. As we welcome you to this 513th episode of Unscripted, and I want to spend a lot of time on this episode looking at the National Hockey League. Of course, the National Hockey League has voted to approve a 24-team conference-based playoff format for a restart, a potential, still potential, but it looks like it's going to happen, guys. They're talking about July for a potential restart of the 2019-2020 season this summer. But something else caught my eye yesterday while I was preparing for today's episodes, and it revolves around the world of boxing. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Mike Tyson's name 
in the news and he's been at uh, AEW events and he was at a something other event he was at. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but at 40, whatever, how old Mike Tyson is 53. now. 53 now? 53-year-old Mike Tyson has been talking about a comeback. And what really caught my eye this week was the guy that Chris and I both think has the best name as a boxer ever. He came out this weekend, Tyson Fury, and said he's been contacted. He wouldn't tell us who, but he's been contacted about the possibility and to gauge his interest on a fight with Mike Tyson. Tyson Fury versus Mike Tyson. Yeah, Tyson versus Tyson. Tyson versus Tyson. How easy to market. How easy to market. Now, what I prefer, because I'm always going to be, because of my familiarity and my brief history with Mike Tyson, I'm always going to go a little bit toward Tyson. I would like to see this if we could get Tyson Fury to be where he is now but put him back in the late 80s when Tyson was at his powers, and then we'd really see the real full meal deal here. But do you think there's any appetite for this, besides the obviously easy marketing campaign you could do, Tyson versus Tyson? But are you as excited as everybody seems to be about, A, the return of potentially Mike Tyson to the squared circle, and do you think, there's anything more than a snowball's chance in Arizona that Tyson versus Tyson gets done in the immediate in the immediate near future. I don't think that they will fight each other. I could see Tyson coming back and fighting Holyfield or something. Yeah. Like that would make sense. To have Mike Tyson at 53 come back and fight the guy who's recognized as the not just a current fighter, but the number one fighter in the world. That seems a bit crazy to me. And also, I mean, Tyson had a lot of trouble with Lennox Lewis, who was, in fairness, a chess grandmaster and was very smart. And right. Still is very smart. But I mean, he was like six foot five, I think, off the top of my head and, right. and had long reach. Yep. Now you go against Tyson Fury, who's six foot nine. Mm-hmm. Like the guy's a foot taller than Mike Tyson almost. And and he's got, I'm sh- I would imagine, even longer reach than Evander Holyfield. Even Tyson in his prime, I think, in fairness, and I love Mike Tyson, but I, I think that Mike Tyson in his prime would have had a lot of trouble with Tyson Fury. Never mind at fifty three. Yes, he looks good in yeah, in a quick in a quick like five second clip. But in fairness, Colin Kaepernick looks okay throwing the ball with nobody, no defenders on the field, right? So it's uh, it's a little bit suspect there. I, I really think that Tyson Fury would pretty easily win that fight. But I think you would get a lot of eyeballs. It'd probably make good money, be a lot of excitement. Uh, we could make a lot of money betting on people, betting on Tyson. That would be a lot of, on Mike Tyson, that would be, that'd be a lot of fun because I don't think he would have a chance. Like, I mean, to me, he would have no better chance than McGregor did against Floyd, right? You know what I mean? So I just, I don't think that that's something that could happen. But yeah, I'll take it because it'd be fun. It'd be a spectacle. It would get people talking about boxing. Sure. And uh, right now, we just want, well, by the time the fight happened, everything should hopefully be back to normal. But yeah, I think Tyson Fury would easily win that fight, and I would be happy to make money betting on Tyson Fury. Uh, I don't like to see Tyson, though, with that beard, because it makes him look even older than... I know. It really makes him look... Well, but at the same time, if you're going to go ahead and do it, you might as well do things like that that make people underestimate you, or maybe there's a moment where Tyson Fury takes pity on him, because, man, I'm beating up an old man, like, you know, so I don't know, but... It, it would be amazing, Mark. Tyson versus Tyson. Like, I mean, 
It, it markets itself. You don't sure even have does. to try. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. it'd be neat as a spectacle. I'd actually be worried that Mike Tyson could really get hurt, though. I, so. I, absolutely. And, and think about it this way. When was the last time Tyson was in a fight? I mean, in a sanctioned fight. I mean, a lot of people think that the last fight Mike Tyson had was 1990 against Buster Douglas in Tokyo when he lost. You go back, I mean, that, that's almost 30 years. Well, this year it would be 30 years. 30 years this yeah. year. And, I mean, he had a couple after, obviously. But realistically, Mike's been out of the fight game for 25 years. How can Mike, even if he looks as good as he does, and I've seen some video and he looks fabulous and he looks like he's really been working it, working hard to get his form back and to get his body back. But, man, alive. I mean, 25 years without taking punches and then potentially, just potentially, and, and right now everything is just is just talk. But yeah, I mean, you get into a ring with an animal like Tyson Fury after not being in the ring for 25 years. Wow. That could be like what Michael Spinks faced when he faced Mike Tyson back in the ring in the back in the day when he eliminated him in 91 seconds. So interesting to see there as we say hello and welcome and thank you for joining us on this 513th episode of Unscripted. I want to talk about uh, the National Hockey League. Um, as I said in my emotion-driven 512th episode, I have not heard one word out of Messrs. Bettman or Daly about canceling the National Hockey League season. They have been full steam ahead since we had the every league shut down back on in and around March the 12th. I know you'll correct me because it was March the 12th when the NBA knocked it, knocked it off, but then two days later Edmonton was still playing. But in and around the middle of March is when everything was shut down. Um, there has never been... The message has always, to me, has always been the same in regard to Gary Bettman and Bill Daly is that they want to and will crown a champion. Last week they made news by... A, uh, the National Hockey League Players Associating, Association voting to approve a 24-team conference-based playoff format for a potential restart. Under this plan, the top four seeds in each conference would receive buys through a round of five play-in series featuring seeds 5 through 12. Those play-in series would determine which teams advance to a traditional 16-team Stanley Cup playoff bracket, which would have seven-game series. And I've also learned since... I wrote this last week was that the top four teams would have a round round robin kind of scenario so they could get their legs back potentially and then that would determine the top four seeds that's how I understand it if I'm wrong let me know um, I know you will but um, I was looking at the score here in Canada the score television network and they had three teams from these um, play-in series, the higher-seeded teams. They had three examples, three higher-seeded teams in the most danger of an upset during the play-in round. And um, I definitely agree with one of them. Not so much set on the other two. They're so close to call that, I mean, you know, and, and obviously Edmonton and Chicago did not get to play a full docket of games this year. They only got to face each other three times. Same as one of the other series that they were looking back in the Eastern Conference, Pittsburgh and Montreal. I know during a normal regular season, they play more than three times, both being from the Eastern Conference. But it's a good discussion topic. 
and especially when it involves the Edmonton Oilers, it'll get Chris involved. And, and, uh, I just, you know, I like to watch him get fired up. Um, number one, again, these are three higher seated teams in these proposed play in playoff series. And all of these series again would be uh, best of five series. And these are for the seeds five through 12 in the expanded national hockey league. Uh, upcoming playoffs season, Stanley Cup playoff season. Number one, number five, Pittsburgh would be up against number, hold on, number five, Pittsburgh would be up against number 12, Montreal. And these players, these people at this score television network here in Canada, they just throw out a couple of stats. In the regular season series, Pittsburgh won two games to one, and the goal differential was only eight to seven in favor of the Penguins. Um, Montreal certainly played better when they had acquired uh, Ilya Kovalchuk from the LA Kings, but he was traded at the deadline, so he's not there with them anymore. Um, I know I've heard a lot of noise about players talking about this could be the best playoff season ever because everybody's going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's had months of rest to get ready. The biggest problem, obviously, I would think of would be uh, trying to get the rust off conditioning and get the conditioning, get the legs back a little bit. That's why they would have the round robin series and that sort of stuff. But I'll start with that one. Number five, Pittsburgh against number 12, Montreal. Anything that you see here that would make people think that Montreal would have a chance against Crosby, Malkin and the rest of the guys from the steel city. Well, yes. And this was uh, one of the biggest sticking points about how many games to have in these series, because originally one of the proposals was just to have a best of three right. with some of these. And the reason that it didn't happen was essentially two players uh, that the players brought up. And that was um, a lot of goalies in general, but especially Carey Price mm. and then also Patrick Kane. And this is what the Oilers didn't really like. The Oilers didn't want uh, you know, to have a best of three. And they were concerned that, and this just speaks volumes about Patrick Kane's game, that Patrick Kane could catch fire and just dominate and have two good games and, and you're screwed. And a lot of teams are going to have concerns about other teams that have good goaltending and especially Carey Price. Carey, Sp- Carey Price has not blown me away the last couple of years, but he is still considered by his peers to be the best pure goaltender in the National Hockey League. Mm. And the Pittsburgh Penguins did not like the idea that, and because this happens every playoffs, every year, right. some goalie every, gets right. hot, and you can't beat him, and right. you, can't, you can't get a pee by him, and it's like, what the heck are we supposed to do here? And they're just worried he gets hot for two games, and you're done, and that's right. it. Now, the other side of the coin is, and they did go to best three out of five, so I think you, you, know, you have to be able to beat them there, but if you can't beat a 12th-seeded team that has no business being in the playoffs... Anyway, maybe you don't exactly deserve to move on, never mind win the cup. So, you, you know, I think in the end, I think it's pretty much fair for most people. Chicago, though, just has a lot of high-end talent. They should probably be better than they are. So, I mean, as far as number 12 teams go, um, Chicago, to me, would be one of the tougher ones. But they've just been so hamstrung ever since they gave matching massive contracts to Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. And then on defense, you know, Seabrook and Keith are getting older. And I've never been much of a believer in Corey Crawford. And it's just, there's a number of issues there. So they just haven't been able to put it together the last few years since they had their dynasty. So I do like the Oilers' chances there. And Pittsburgh should absolutely win. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Carey Price, if nothing else, is in their heads. And so that could that could give Montreal a chance. But their only chance is Carey Price, to answer no your question. question. 
Edmonton, um, it was funny. I thought this weekend I read a blurb that um, if they do, at least the Western Conference teams, use Edmonton as the hub, which I think they should do. Absolutely. For they facilities should. and everything else. It's and the best choice. It's the best choice. It's the best ice, yada, yada. They've got their own private golf course to relax on. But McCon- when uh, Connor McDavid says something, I listen. And Connor McDavid came out and said, if the games are held in Edmonton, that does not give the Oilers a home ice advantage. I disagree with that a little bit. As much as I respect him and acknowledge him as the best player in the National Hockey League right now, I think if you're sleeping in your own bed and playing on your own ice and you're in your own practice facility and you can go to your own grocery store and all the other stuff that, are, uh, that would be part of having this hub system in Edmonton, I truly believe that that would give... And I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem with it. But I do think that that would help, especially with the big guns like, like Connor and obviously Leon Drysaddle being able and know where the puck comes off on the boards and know where the, you know, know the little intricacies of the beautiful arena up there in Edmonton. I do believe that there would be a bit, a bit of a home ice advantage for the Edmonton Oilers if they are allowed to do this bubble thing up in Edmonton. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying about the rink. You know you know how the rink is and how, how firm the boards are and how the puck comes off and all that. And plus, you'd be used to your own facilities, so there'd be a real comfort zone there. I don't know if they would be allowed to sleep in their own bed and go to their own grocery store, though. Oh, really? I'm thinking, so they'd have to stay in an Edmonton hotel, I too? I think so. Oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't had that confirmed, but I, the way I get it is the whole point is to make it a closed system. Got it. Right? And so... And if you're right that there is any advantage at all to having your home arena here, then there's no reason to give those guys even more of an advantage. And maybe that would piss off. Even if you thought it was okay health-wise, maybe that would upset some of the other players. They're like, hey, they've, you know, is this really fair? So I'm pretty sure that they're going to be sequestered as well, just like everyone else. Okay. But, but yeah, you're right. When it comes to familiarity and comfort with the facilities and the amenities and the rink, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a small advantage. It's not enough if you're massively outgunned uh, to make too much of a difference, but it could be just the slightest little thing and, and every little bit helps. But Edmonton, absolutely the perfect choice. Weather, ice, you know, amenities, facilities, uh, new and modern arena, like just in every and way. And right now, let's be honest, right now, if you're out of the United States, you're probably better off right now actually and you know what i didn't think about that because i thought about, about these things before this happened i mean you're because of this uh this situation in minneapolis with george floyd unfortunately there has been uh, protests and riots and looting all over the united states in every city it hasn't just been minneapolis but especially minneapolis and minneapolis was probably was the looking other, at right they were like the leading contender and there's no way they're getting correct. it now correct so, absolutely right so no i think you're right i think you make edmonton in the west and then in the east i mean ontario is pretty bad like do you make toronto i don't know if it's a closed system maybe it doesn't matter that much as long as the city is not having looting or something right maybe you do make both hubs in canada because of all well, this. i think you'd be better off for the athletes themselves in regard to the to the risk of contracting coronavirus, I think you'd be much better off north of the 49th parallel right it, now. It sounds like it, yeah. And maybe that's obviously, true. gunfire and gunplay and, and whatever else is going on down there because of these ongoing uh, protests. But I, I think Edmonton is is I think Edmonton is is just the perfect place for the West. It is, and I've I still have to find a better place for the East. But um, this is where we need Quebec. 
It, it really is. That new arena in Quebec? Yeah. There you go. That is. I although, just solved the problem. It is. Although, I mean, Quebec City is a pretty small market. Well, I guess Edmonton is too, but... Yeah, I I I kind of think with if they if they're concerned about the unrest in the states, I have to think they're going with Toronto though. You well, have, I, you have to. But Toronto's been hit pretty hard by this coronavirus thing, and and they've just had they had a, a an up number again this weekend in regard, and that's yeah. what got uh, Doug Ford all pissed off out in Ontario that uh, people aren't uh, have forgotten about social distancing yeah. and, they, and they're, and you know, so, so that, that would be the only thing about hurt it. So maybe do you take a team that's kind of technically West, but like, do you take Winnipeg as the Eastern hub or something? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Great point. So, but Winnipeg's premier came out or excuse me, Manitoba's premier came out this morning and said that he's closing his borders to visitors and to vacationers. And if you do come into Manitoba to, to holiday, <laughs> I don't know why you do that. But anyway, if you were to do that, you'd have to self-isolate for 14 days. So um, there's just so much upheaval right now in, in all of North America. Because of what's going down in the States, because of, of George Floyd, and then obviously coronavirus is, is still a part of our lives here, folks. So it'll be interesting to see. I did want to get your comments on that third series that they were talking about on the SCORE television network in regard to number 6 Carolina against the New York Rangers at number 11. Now, the Rangers have done a wonderful job with all credit due to them. And I don't know who their general manager is anymore, and I know that their coach is some guy that they got from the collegiate ranks. Sorry, don't know. But they have done a really, really good job in regard to speeding up this rebuilding plan. But they, they're going in against number 6 Carolina, and during the regular season, the the blue the blue shirts beat Carolina four games to nothing, and the goal differential was seventeen to nine in favor of the New York Rangers. Um, the Rangers would have a shot in this one, I would think. Oh sure, for sure. Yeah, they well, would. if they swept them in the regular season, yeah, of course they do. Uh, it's going to be different though. Everyone, it's again. There's going to be such X factors when it comes to conditioning and rust and getting the chemistry yep. back and for just. Sure even your mental response times. I was reading an article from a personal trainer in the States, and he was working with NFL players, I think. I think it was, yeah. I think it was dealing with NFL players. And he said over the course of a summer, they usually have maybe like maybe two to four guys become faint because the workout is so hard. He said on the first day, since they have these elite athletes back who had been in seclusion and self-isolation and a lot of them hadn't really had access to their normal workout routines or anything he said on the first day they had seven guys get faint and uh, like not all summer on one day the first day and he wasn't even doing the regular tough drills he was just doing like basically warm-ups and stuff so he's like hey you know what uh whether no matter what sport you're talking about when guys come back there is going to be an increased risk of injury Right. And there's going to be just a lot of X factors, I think, here too. your guys. Maybe your team on paper is better and maybe they get outplayed more often from another team. So I'm wondering, and this is good for the betting that Greg and I do. I'm hoping that maybe that means more upsets, which Mm -hmm. can mean more money uh, for betters. So I'm interested to see how this goes for sure. But this is something to keep your eye on. and, And maybe by the time the NFL comes back, maybe things will be back to normal. Uh, and maybe those guys will be in normal shape. But at least right now with basketball and hockey, I'm telling you, watch for injuries, watch for mistakes, 
and watch for unpredictable outcomes. I definitely have to think the Rangers have a good shot here. I've, I've been wanting to ask you a question for a long time, and it just popped into my head uh, when you were talking about the betting aspect. How much has coronavirus played a role this year in regard to, like, let's say you put a futures bet on a team? Um, uh, that's got to have affected uh, how you get paid out, if you get paid out. I mean, I just, I don't know the answer. I'm scratching here, but obviously the, the houses, the, the, the betting, the casino houses have been shut down, you know, since March. Um, but let's say you put 100 bucks down at 20 to 1 at the beginning of the season on somebody and they're still alive. I mean, obviously that's that they'll get paid out at the end of the year if, if they continue on. But, I mean... Th- I, I don't know what well, I don't know what I'm asking. I, but can, I, guess, I, can, I think I can answer. Yeah, though, please right before, help me. Yeah, well, there's some interesting ones there. The one that I did right before COVID hit, just coincident, right. like literally probably a week or two before, I realized I had fifty dollars in a betting account of mine, so I just put it on the Oilers to win the cup at eighteen to one. Sure. So that's nine hundred bucks if right. the Oilers win. Now they weren't assured of making the playoffs at that point. It was looking good, but they weren't assured. Now they have for sure made the playoffs. Uh, and now, now in fairness, they they have to go through more teams than they would have before in five rounds instead of four. But maybe the hub city becomes Edmonton. Maybe that's you know considered an advantage, and maybe the odds go down actually overall. Maybe they're worse than eighteen to one, whereas I got eighteen to one, so maybe that's good. But the ones that will be interesting are the people that let's say you put down some money on, uh, let's say the Montreal Canadiens to win the cup. Maybe sure. they're your favorite team. You stuck some money on them. And the odds of them making the playoffs if COVID hadn't hit were almost zero. None, right. So you would have gotten amazing odds. When you, when you can bet on a team to win that's almost for sure going to miss the playoffs, never going to mind going to make it and win four rounds, you can get insane odds on that. So if someone like that, if someone like Montreal goes and wins the cup when they really shouldn't have made the playoffs at all, those are the payouts I'll be interested to yeah. see. If someone just, ah, I got 100 bucks extra, I'll stick it on Montreal, they won't even make the playoffs, and then they win the whole thing. That would be really interesting to see those payouts, and those would be controversial. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that the unless the the betting sites right now come out and say, you know what, we're just refunding everyone's money, which I don't think they're going to do. Uh, they have to pay out whatever they had. And okay. look, I mean, there's always going to be uh, things both that work for and against the house after. But when the bet is made, the bet is made. It's locked in, and. You know, if, if it, the game doesn't happen, that's different. Or if the future bet just is irrelevant, that's different. But, uh, yeah, it's going to lead to some interesting results for sure. And I think you're right. We're going to probably see some pretty interesting bets. We've been seeing the last few years. Uh, someone hits some huge thing and wins crazy money. Right, right. Uh, yeah, we might see some pretty cool stuff like that coming up here. I want to send some congratulations out to a very deserving recipient of the Art Ross Trophy as Leon Drysaddle, my favorite player in the league. Well, no, Connor McGregor, but Connor McDavid. Jeez, you know who I'm talking about. His sidekick, Butch Cassidy. Um, Leon Drysaddle of the Oilers was awarded the Art Art Ross Trophy as the league's leading scorer, and obviously he was going to win it. I mean, I'm not denying that. But I was just surprised as to the timing as to they award this. I mean, again... Bettman and, and uh, Daly have always have been steadfast that they were going to award the champion. So that, to me, and this is my old traditionalist, you know, kind of beliefs and ideologies, but 
you know, this has been an unbelievably weird scenario we've all been living under, and, and this is the most unique of, of unique seasons in the National Hockey League. I get that. But I just kind of was wondering your opinion as to why the league decided it was time to give Dry Saddle what was coming to him anyway, but I just wanted to pick your brain as to why they decided or maybe what was the reasoning why they decided to award the Art Ross right now to Dry Saddle instead of wait till the end of the season, whenever that may be. Well, because it's an objective award. It's based on math, and they wanted to really drive home the fact that the regular season is over. Correct. Okay? Yep. The millisecond that the regular season is over, the Art Ross Trophy is awarded, because it's just math. Got There's it. nothing to decide. There's no voting. It's just like, who's winning? And nobody's going to catch Dry Saddle, no. so let's give him the damn trophy. Yeah. The only way there would have been any controversy would have been if it was really close, like if there was a tie, or if one guy has one more point, but he played one more game. But Leon was like 13 points ahead of everybody. There was no controversy. Okay. It was just like, it, and, and that's good. It made it easy. Because if it was something like one, someone's one point ahead, but they played one or two more games, then you probably have to like do a tie or something right. like that. But it, it, he had such a lead, it was easy to to award there. And I think it was smart to to just say, to really say, hey, like the regular season's over. This is now the playoffs. Okay, there are seven teams that are done. Done. Like the Detroit Red Wings don't need to think about any of this stuff. They're just done. They can just keep relaxing. They just get a super long summer, and that and that's it. It's just extra vacation for some of those guys. Okay, but a couple things about Leon that I did want to say. Uh, number one, he's the first German to ever yes, win sir. the Ross Congratulations. Trophy. Yeah, and number two, and I never thought this would be the Oilers because the Oilers for so long, never won any big individual awards. Like since 1990 in their last cup, like no cups, no big awards. Like even when you do well or make a playoff run, which was rare, like we don't have anyone challenging for the Art Ross or any of the major trophies, any of them, like none, right? And we don't even get the Lady Bing, like nothing, <laughs> nothing. Like just Lady nothing. Bing, I love that. Then one. all of a sudden Connor comes in and he's winning the Art Ross and the Hart and everything and, and the Ted Lindsay Award and all that stuff. And now we have Leon... And uh, the Oilers are the first team since the Penguins with Lemieux and Yager to have teammates win the Art Ross in back-to-back years. And that was 25 years ago. So in a quarter century, first team to do it. So we go from no one to all of a sudden we have these two, uh, you know, maybe the two best players in the league. So congratulations to Leon. Good guy. He's really come a long way. He's an elite sniper. He can do it all. Even his speed, at least his top-end speed, is underrated. And he's he's really just a great player, and he's and I, I'm glad he had this. I didn't want him to just be seen forever as the number two. Now, in fairness, when you're riding shotgun with uh, Connor McDavid, I mean, there's worse things than being a Scottie Pippen, you know, or something like that, or or, or, the, or a Yager, I guess, in a way, or or the number two guy there. But uh, and people are always going to consider Connor as above Leon, I think, and everybody else maybe. But at least I think this was really good for Leon to show like, hey, I'm not just I'm not just Kevin Stevens on a line with nice. with Mario Lemieux and Yager, right? I'm I can hold my own too. So good for him. Any other team, Leon would be the first line center. He'd be the captain. Like any other team. So at least he has this to hang his hat on and say, yeah, like I can, you know, I, I have something to contribute. I'm not just a product of a system or playing with a great player. So very, very happy for Leon Dreisaitl. I just want to make mention before we get out of here on this 513th episode of Unscripted, and this is why I think that the National Hockey League um, has really shown the template or the blueprint or whatever you want to talk about in regard to 
this COVID-19 situation. The National Hockey League uh, announced yesterday that they plan on testing players for COVID-19 daily when the games mm-hmm. resume. And I think right there shows why, A, the National Hockey League will be back. Uh, we will get a champion crown this year. But they're also proving to me to... What's the word I'm looking for here? They are looking they're looking to be the torchbearers. They are looking to show, again, they're, they're showing the template of how to do this. And nobody has a template. Nobody has a, a, a handbook or a, or a, what's that book that came out in the early 2000s, the uh, dummies. Uh, oh, well, that know. was in the 90s, I think, already. Was, was it, it 90s? Yeah. Was it? Okay, but yeah, whenever. Like whatever for dummies. But yeah, in a hockey for dummies or football for dummies. I think that the Edmonton, excuse me, the National Hockey League has shown the rest of the world that they are kind of writing a manual as to how to come back from COVID-19 for dummies. Yeah, you know what I really noticed? And it's and even earlier, I think in the first episode this week when you were talking, I think everyone just assumed that everyone's just going to wait for Adam Silver in basketball to do everything right. and then we'll just copy them. But Gary Bettman is really showing his strong leadership. And I've always been reluctant to be hard on Gary Bettman, and you have too. And because I've always just really liked what he did, where he was willing to lose a season and did lose a season to get uh, the costs tied to revenue, what he called cost certainty. Mm -hmm. And it was necessary so that we didn't turn into what baseball has become now. It really, it wasn't, it wasn't just about, oh, we're just going to be cheap and stiff the players and we're all Charles Comiskey or something. Like, it's not that. Right. It's it's like, no, like we we can have everybody win if we just work together and don't be suspicious and just don't be dysfunctional and and really and don't be greedy. And just we can really all win here. And uh, now, 15 years ago, it's like, yeah, glad they did that at the time. Yes, it was like, I can't believe we're losing a season. But now it's it's really good. And it was so, so important. And I have to say, Gary Bettman seems to be taking the lead. It's almost looking like any the NHL is taking the lead here Mm -hmm. and. Now Adam Silver is saying the same things kind of after Gary Bettman's already said them. It's almost like the other way around. So, I mean, they're clearly the top two commissioners in sports. There's no question there. I mean, Manfred is by default last, and Roger Goodell has not had to be tested during this. That's the thing, right? So, in fairness, he couldn't have been worse than Manfred. Like, you can't. Like, he, I don't think you could tie him, maybe, I guess. <laughs> but, I mean, you... He, I don't think he could have been worse than Manfred. There's no way. Like, how could you? Like, like you didn't. He'd have to just sit there and, and never say a word, like, to be as bad as Manfred. So, uh, and we, I mean, we may still see Goodell tested to some degree at some point, depending how this plays out. I have to think, at the very least, uh, I could easily see the NFL preseason having no fans. Oh yeah. And, and no one really cares about that. That's not a big deal. Yeah. But uh, the regular season, I would like to see... Fa- I think at the very least, we'd have reduced capacity and have some fans. Oh, I- by the time September rolls around... I mean, when you think about it still... The, sorry, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have already put a ticket plan together where they're only going to be... You know, they have, what, 70,000 in, in uh, Heinz Field in, in Pittsburgh, and they're, they've got a contingency plan already introduced mm-hmm. to the league where they're only going to allow 35,000 in, half of the stadium. Yeah, but I mean... and. I'd be interested in what health officials would say. Does 35,000 really help compared to 70,000? Does that even do anything? Well, exactly right. And, 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 I, and again, going back to the National Hockey League and the people that are running the National Hockey League, I got to give a lot of credit to Bettman and Mr. Daly because think about it this way. 
They're dealing with obstacles. Those two are dealing with obstacles that the other leagues aren't dealing with in regard to you've got seven of your franchises in six different provinces in a different country. And every province has a different return to action plan and, and, and even the prime minister. That's a good point, yeah. E- you know, even, even prime minister idiot boy has come yeah. out and said, you know, um, I'm not even going to talk about opening the border until June 21st. And if June 21st, I don't see the numbers decreasing in regard to COVID cases in the States, the damn border staying closed. And then I read this morning that the Maritimes um, are not allowing uh, vacationers this summer. They're trying to do the same thing in BC. So, I mean, give credit to Bettman and Daly because they're dealing with some stuff that the other three professional big four commissioners aren't dealing with. That's a really good point, Mike, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. It's on tape. Did you get that? It's on tape. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, a bunch of provinces in a different country, a different federal government. Yeah, really. And yet, at the same time, even with all the extra obstacles, they do seem to be taking the lead. Nothing against Adam Silver. He's doing fine. I'm sure he's going to do well. But, yeah, it's really nice to see where the players and the commissioner get along, just like Michael Jordan and David Stern back in the day. And, you know, it's, it's really nice to see. And... Uh, baseball's done everything wrong and football hasn't had to be tested. So we're just letting uh, basketball and hockey lead the way. But yeah, at this point, I think you have to say that Gary Bettman has been the leader of the four commissioners right at this moment. Adam Silver could still kind of take that, but they're easily one too. And Adam Silver has a big date coming up on Thursday as the NBA owners are expected to approve, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in episode 512, we had talked quickly about that the NBA owners are expected to approve Orlando uh, under the bubble scenario at the Walt Disney World uh, restart to the season with 20 to 22 teams. And again, they vote on that this Thursday. And in in credit, and I'm not trying to hype Silver over Bettman or, or any of that kind of crap. I think they're both doing a very admirable job. Um, it seems from an article I read this morning that Adam Silver and Chris Paul, who is the president of the NBA Players Association, they're on the same page. And I think that is just paramount moving forward. You've got to have those open lines of communication. And obviously you don't have that in baseball. And it hasn't been, as you mentioned, hasn't been tested yet in football. But baseball, excuse me, basketball and hockey are certainly right now forefronting this. And uh, it wouldn't hurt the other leagues to pay attention, let's just say. Yeah, and this is the perfect time for basketball to move this season ahead started in december and ended in august yep it's the perfect perfect time hockey can't really do that hockey's already at the perfect time it wouldn't make sense to play that in the summer but basketball is such a summer sport it's crazy to me that it doesn't exist in the summer and now hey we might not even have baseball so imagine that imagine how that would change if all of a sudden right away even as soon as uh well i guess technically this year and even next year imagine if there was no baseball in the summer, but there was basketball. And basketball dominated the summer instead of baseball. Imagine that. I think those numbers would be much better than what you're getting now for a for an average you know, ratings on, on television in regard to a baseball game. Sure. And oh, and by the way, when we bring back our uh, our new and improved baseball league, which we'll call like the World Baseball Federation. We'll give it a new name. Yeah, we'll give it a new name. Start fresh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, wow. There, there's so many different changes you can make. But another one is... Fewer games. We're not going to come back with 162 games. Don't need 162 like how, okay, games. How many games? You tell me. How many I'd like 100 games. 100? 100 max. 100, 100 max. I could go, you know what? Sorry, but I could go, 
I could go anywhere from 82 to 100. Because the the other comparable, I mean, football is its own thing and it only can have 16. As much as I'd love 80 regular season NFL games, that's not realistic. But baseball and, or sorry, basketball and hockey are both, they've always been in that 80 to 84 range for yeah. the number, yeah. at least for quite a while. So, I mean, why not do that? Why not cut it in half? Do like 81 instead of 162, like cut it in half. You know what I mean? Anywhere yeah. in that early 80 range, I think they should just be that. I think you have to be something where you're a sport that's so brutal, you can only do it for you know, 16 games, or you do around 80. That seems to be the sweet spot. This 162 is just nonsense. And the fewer games you have, the more special they are, too. And you know what baseball needs to figure out one of these days? Is you do not need... That's why we need to get down from 162. Because let's say you're a season ticket holder of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, Do I want to see the Brewers play the... um, Pittsburgh Pirates 19 times during the regular season? No. That's the problem that we're having. Oversaturation of a shitty product. That's the problem baseball faces right now. Can you handle the Yankees playing the Red Sox 19 times? Well, right now you can because there's going to be a war between those two teams because of the cheating scandal with the Red Sox. And I can't wait to see the Astros go into the Bronx and play the, the Yankees for that cheat for those cheating assholes. But... I think the biggest problem we have is we've got too many interdivision games where you've got the Milwaukee Brewers playing the Pittsburgh Pirates 19 times. That's too much. That's too damn much. And I think a workable number would be half of that, somewhere between, for me, somewhere between 82 and 100. I think that would be great. Yeah, and we don't need two leagues anymore. You just have one league. That's That's it. One big league. Yeah, yeah, you you have a north, a south, a west, and an east. And they each have six teams, and you're done. And there's 24. There's our format right there. Yeah. We've got to run before we solve all of Robbie Manfred's <laughs> problems here on Unscripted. Um, but we do have to run on this 513th episode of our little program. As always, I'd like to thank you for your continuing to join us. And, and hopefully, again, not to, not to be overbearing, but uh, would like you to remember to please, if you haven't done so already, Please check out one of our different 18 ways that you can listen to the program and ultimately take a couple of minutes to subscribe. And as I like to say, remember on Spotify, it's not subscribe, it's follow. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.